podcast ain't played nobody. One of all the th- all the things that could have gone on last week to do the live podcast with the idiots at Shutdown Fullcast, a Labor Day's worth of football, so much so that S&P Plus is now broken. We forgot about the chicken bet. Get the chicken bet out of the way real fast. Um, you looked at me funny when I made the chicken bet. Um, the chicken bet was proposed to me by one Jason Kirk of Shutdown Fullcast uh, in a manner in which seemed everybody was winking at my inability to make a good bet. Um, and then the football games happened. And now I am in control of the chicken bet. Bill, I looked at uh, the vast landscape that was college football and I said, let's go counter narrative. I don't want to do any research or like look at numbers or football things or talk to coaches. I just said, let's just, let's just be contrarian. And, and that really is sort of how the chicken bet was always born. For those of you who don't know, the chicken bet has been going on for like, I don't know, four or five years now where I say something kind of stupid or naive or optimistic about a crappy program. And Jason, uh, being the scornful editor shoots it down. This whole thing started one year where I said Cal would win five games and they did. And I won the chicken bet and then I've lost every year since then. I said that Arizona State would be better than Arizona on this show. And then we upped the stakes by making it the the 2018 chicken bet. Um, Straight up, Bill Connolly was there as as a legal witness. I have Arizona State beating Arizona in the Territorial Cup come come Thanksgiving weekend. Until then, Arizona State looked very good against UTSA. Arizona lost to BYU. Somebody's a genius. I have have no comment because... why? B- I, you know, BYU might be pretty good. We don't know. Oh, God. See, you can't even support me in this. Nope. This is Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. It's a college football marriage numbers words. That is the robot Bill Connolly, who's having a hell of a day for a robot. Uh, he is the inventor and proprietor of the extremely stubborn S&P Plus analytics system. We'll get to that in a second, William. Uh, he is the author of multiple books, which you can find on the Amazons. Uh, on very, I, You ever tried them on, like, Barnes & Noble? Does that work? Uh... Just do Amazon. It's going to be cheaper even if they have it at Barnes & Noble. Okay. My name's Stephen Godfrey. I don't do much, but you can reach me at, at 38Godfrey. I'm also a YouTube TV star. Uh, search Foul Play Paid in Mississippi. It is the SB Nation original television program, formerly of Go90, that you can now watch on the YouTubes. Uh, make everyone else watch it on the YouTubes. Uh, I don't really know who Logan Paul is, but I probably could be more famous than him, right? What, what did he do? Something with a dead rat or a dead person? I don't know. I ain't scared of any of that. I'm fine. Uh, Bill, let's yep. start this whole thing off. Well, actually, wait, I take it back. we got to start this whole thing off with a game I devised to test your ability to contextualize. However, we do need to explain. You're probably listening to this a little late. Um, it's because we wanted to have the S&P Plus analytics system spit out its week one thoughts. But it is just, what's going on? Are you running this thing on like Windows XP on like a gateway desktop right now? What What the hell? Well, step one was we went to Atlanta for a stupid live podcast, which meant I didn't get quite as much time to just kind of sit and prep stuff uh, over stupid, the weekend. Stupid, stupid <clears throat> podcast that went That's extremely right. well. It was sold out. I do want to say um, we met so many people. Um, we we met so many people who listened to the show, and it was amazing. Y'all paid to be there. Uh, um, it was so, so very nice to meet all of y'all in person, and I'm sorry if... Uh, I, I tried to greet everybody and, and talk to everybody as much as I could. It was a real crazy night. I had a blast. Um, I know Bill had a blast. Thank you so much. I signed a cast, autographed really? a cast. Autographed a cast. Where a the hell listener. was I? Uh, you were talking to our friend Matt Berry. Ah. Shout out to Matt. Um, 
because I remember having to come to get you because we we're going to the after party. Um, this all sounds way cooler than a bunch of college football nerds because that's what it was. Uh, I did. I signed a listener's cast, and it was her right foot, which I'm sorry, right leg, Bill. And she drove from Alabama to Atlanta for the live show using that like casted foot and leg. Our listeners dedicated. Our listeners not really wise. Yeah, kind of. I appreciated dumb, the hell out of that. Appreciated, yes. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, yeah, you guys were awesome. You're super nice. Um, you know, fortunately, we all suffered through the full cast, but we made it. Uh, Billiam. Yes. S&P Plus is going to be normal again. Yes, on Sunday night. We are debuting the Sunday night show this week at the end of week two. Yes. Is it going to work? Yeah, I mean, everything's working. It's just this is the pro- – since I didn't have quite as much uh, prep time this weekend. It, well, and every single year, even when I do have all the prep time I want, there's always this process of, oh, shit, right, I've got to create that. Oh, right, okay, now i got to do this. Why is it this going so fast? Why, why is this going so slow? Blah, da, 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 da. Um, and then on top of content uh, obligations and, and now podcast ob- obligations, it just ain't done yet, but it will be. So is it an issue? Because a lot of people ask about this. How much of this stuff do you enter by hand? Like, how do you take all this data? No, no, no. it's not hand. I mean, basically, um, I've got it to where it's all the, the all the queries, all the data is getting pulled from a lovely little SQL database, which is fine. What is that? But uh, a database, and then. Um, it, once I get kind of this, a certain number, I, I don't have the whole calculations uh, built into SQL or any other structure yet because it's hard and dumb and uh, malleable and, and a lot of things that I haven't quite figured out how to get it into a system like a SQL or a Python yet. So the last few I, steps have to happen in Excel. I don't know basically. what those words mean. Don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. You either do okay. or you don't. Um, okay. The last few steps still happen in Excel. And um, like the just, same Excel that like people do their home checking with. Sure. Okay. Uh, and, and it's just complicated and weird. So, uh, you know, there's the special teams component. There's the um, opponent adjustment component. There's the giant calculation of all the different factors that go in. There's this and that. And I needed to get the five factors box scores out. And I needed to do the numerical this morning. And then you just yada yada. I think you're hiding your technique and your special recipe much the way like a legendary record producer. Would if hide a legendary, their- record producer is is um doing a whole hell of a lot of manual steps and not digital uh then sure we'll go with that comparison but it it takes a little while the first time all right so the robot's cranky um i devised a game to best contextualize week one we have to plant a flag and be honest here before we get to put the tongue in the cheek and say it was week one it was a perfectly fine week one it felt a little lackluster in terms of A-list appeal uh, or or just truly memorable games. We flirted with way more upsets than we got. Yep. Um, both the Sunday and Monday night games were uh, anticlimactic. Um, although it was, it was weird when, when Virginia Tech was stuck at 17 points, it felt like a game way longer now, well, in hindsight, than it actually was. Yeah, I mean, it never really did to me. And then suddenly Acres breaks off an 85-yard run. and Because, I mean, I just – like, I – I wasn't tuning it out because I was live blogging it, but I just I was writing it as if the result were a formality, and then that mm. happens, and then you realize, oh my God, they're about to be down seven points. Uh, didn't happen. Didn't come close to happening. No, not at all. I mean, it was weird too because you know, seven of that seventeen, which Tech was stuck at for so long, was a punt return, or I'm sorry, a, a punt block. So 
you start thinking, you're like, well, you know, Florida State's defense, they're they can hold, they can hold, they can hold. Wow. We'll talk about that game in a second. Bill, uh, we're gonna play a little game. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're gonna look at week one in the smartest human humanly way possible, which is just being contrarian. That's the okay. theme of today's show, okay? So there's a bunch of teams that won. There's a bunch of teams that lost. That's usually what happens with football. Go figure. We're going to play a little game right now where I'm going to ask you, hey, are you actually bad? Um, and uh, these teams I'm going to ask you about, they won their games. But, uh, you know, if I had two or three drinks, as I am wont to do, uh, and sit at the end of a large table where people are congregating and then I yell something loudly at someone as I am wont to do, this is what I would say if these teams were people. You know, you're about a half a bottle of wine in. Hey, Penn State, are you actually bad? Uh, we'll start with the Nittany Lions. They uh, potentially stole week one, had they lost, I think. Uh, a very good Appalachian State team, mm-hmm. which I never really heard that being said or tweet or saw it being tweeted or what have you. It was just, I said, oh, look at Right? It was just pure mania. Way too many references to 2007. Zero comparison between those situations, in my opinion. They mm-hmm. were both on the Big Ten Network, and it was the same Sun Belt team, or at the time, who at, at the time was an FCS team. I get that, but um, Bill, mm-hmm. Penn State's narrative in the offseason was that they had a high, potential Heisman winner at quarterback, but they lost our dear friend, and really who we stand for on PAPN, Joe Moorhead, right? He's gone. Offensive coordinator. Goes to Mississippi State as head coach. Ricky Ronnie, long time James Franklin loyalist assistant, takes the book over. Okay? What we didn't talk about at all was that also a long time James Franklin assistant. Last year, Brent Pry took over the defense. This yeah, well, really two, was the yeah, two defense years ago, yeah. is two years. Uh, yes, when Bob Shoop went to Tennessee. I'm sorry, yes. Um, this was a bad this is a bad defensive effort by Penn State. Is Penn State bad? <laughs> well, you clearly did not read my numerical this morning that I so hurriedly and uh, lovingly put out while being stressed about numbers. Um, Why would I read when I literally have access to ask you questions? I'm not going to read anything. I'm just going to ask you. So um, this morning I looked through – like, I mean, yeah, this, this first week was extremely unmemorable. That's not the same thing as saying it was bad or that there were no good games. There were some good games. It's just like – I mean, the results other than Maryland – I mean, there were some interesting – you know, Maryland beating Texas. And, of course, all the, the ranked versus ranked games are going to probably – we're going to remember them because they might end up mattering later, and that's fine. But it just wasn't a wall-to-wall excitement kind of thing. And, and whatever, it doesn't have to be. But um, the two games that I thought that, that really could have kind of turned things around, uh, over a little bit were Penn State, Appalachian State, and Michigan State, Utah State. Um, both of those, at one point late in the fourth quarter, looked like the home the, the top 11 home Big Ten home team was about to lose, and then they managed to both rally. Um, so what I looked was I just looked at those two games and, and kind of scoured through what I remember seeing of the game, scoured through the, through the stats, and just kind of made a basically a, a like one to ten how 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 worried should we be about these teams? So Penn State, I. I don't think I'm extreme. Well, I'm worried about Penn State this week against Pitt. We'll say that because I, you know, this, you know, they. Well, it's just it could be a very tricky game. But basically, what we saw was a team that stunk on offense in the first half, uh, and it was great on offense and stuck at defense in the second half. And so it wasn't. Appalachian State's been a top forty team for three straight years. 
Um, with if that if that's the quarterback play they're going to get, they're probably going to be a top forty or fifty team again this year. Um, they managed to after Penn State sliced them up on the first drive. They managed to really to to him in the big plays wonderfully uh, to really uh, confuse McSorley and 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 stagnate that passing game nicely. Uh, and then they, it was ten ten at halftime in part because of a kick return uh, kick return touchdown by Appalachian State. Third quarter, Penn State goes nuts offensively. They finally get things going, score a couple times, go up 24-10. Um, and I think basically <clears throat> at that point, it was the defense's turn to just kind of let off the gas. Um, they've got three – I counted it up on their two deep. Uh, they've got three seniors and like 11 freshmen and sophomores, uh, and they just couldn't – they just took their eye out the ball, whichever whichever cliche you want to use. And suddenly the Penn State offense was totally fine and the defense was bad, and it was the exact opposite in the first half. So um, the fact that Appalachian State is probably pretty good and the fact that it wasn't like one overriding, holy crap, they're bad at this one thing and it's going to cost them later. I think it was just, you know, they're probably not everywhere they need to be yet when it comes to breaking in the new pieces and breaking in the new offensive coordinator and all those other things to where, you know, here in a couple months they might be a really good team, but they could trip up to Pitt this weekend. Are they bad? No. No, I say no. Bill, next. Could you imagine in your mind an NFL coach who kind of sucked after he took his team to the Super Bowl and then he sucked at this other place? But then this dumbass program decided they just needed an NFL coach to grab headlines. Okay? okay. And then all the NFL things were just going to magically apply to college football, even though that never, ever happens. And then can you imagine being down 17 to 3 at the half to Kent State, one of the worst teams in FBS? And then you had to hurriedly rush your ass through the second half and score 28 points to win 31 to 24. Could you imagine being Illinois? Illinois trailed most of this game. Came back at home to beat Kent State. Um, they won, mm-hmm. technically. All those things happened. Bill, are you bad, Illinois? Well, yeah, of course they're bad. They were bad last year. They were, they they have no talent. Of course they're bad. How bad are they going to be this year, contextually? Uh, well, Is this, I mean... Was this a lucky win for them in what will otherwise be a two- or three-win season? Well, they were obviously... You know, Kent, anytime you've got a Kent State situation where not only is there a new coach, but they're dramatically changing the culture and the playbook and everything else. Um, they are the bottom of the barrel. Sure. May, I mean, we, we assume so, but it was still, that's not a, when you, you there's no film to, to study, right? Like you have absolutely no idea what they're going to do. And so that gives them at least a brief advantage overall. And, and Kent State, I well, think, let, all right, jumped let, let me asterisk that. Let me asterisk that real fast. When, in which I talked to some people who had joined the new Kent State staff in the offseason. They were like, yep, we got nothing. <laughs> Fresh slab of concrete here, Bubby. Right, but from a game planning standpoint, there there was no there were no tendencies to analyze. There was no prepping to do other than watching some Syracuse film. So mm-hmm. that gives you a brief advantage to be able to do some things that they weren't expecting. Um, and so I think that played into it. But the other f- fact is Illinois is bad. They 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 were alone in tier four of the Big Ten power rankings that I put out this uh, summer. They're they're just they're bad. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, let's move on. Let's stay in the Big Ten where everyone is wholesome and there is no controversy. Bill, on Friday night, mm-hmm. after stupid <clears throat> shutdown full cast live, we all moseyed on over to a bar in Atlanta, America's greatest city. And do you know what we saw? We saw what could have been a major upset. Uh, but instead, Michigan State held serve at home. They beat Utah State 38-31. to 
They damn near brushed with overtime, the potential, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan State, are you bad? I, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, well, they are Michigan State. Last year, you know, last year they tried to lose to whoever, Maryland. Two year, like the year they went to the college football playoff, they almost lost to Rutgers. Like, this is what they do. They run into the line on first down almost every single freaking time. They sacrifice easy yardage. They do absolutely uh, nothing easy on offense. They rely on their quarterback to complete third and eight passes. Uh, and they play, and now, as opposed to a few years ago when Narduzzi was rolling, they play kind of bend, don't break pass defense. They don't give up any big plays. They let you throw short. Uh, basically everything they were last season, they were on Friday. Utah State was allowed to throw short, and on their uh, scoring drives, uh, you know, their quarterback completed like 80-something percent of his passes. They got to do a nice rhythm. They could, uh, Michigan State couldn't run the freaking ball. LJ Scott ran into the back of his left and right guard for 3.7 yards per carry over and over and over again on first down, and then the work he bailed them out going six for eight on third and or on third down passing, and they scored enough points to win. It's, it's Michigan State. It's maddening. I hate watching Michigan State at this point because I want them to do something other than run into the run between the tackles on first down because it doesn't work. But it works for them because they end up winning. They end up looking like crap against bad teams. They end up looking good against good teams. Uh, or they actually they make those teams look like crap too. Uh, and it's D'Antonio ball. So I can't be worried because they just look like a D'Antonio team. Not really a, a strong rushing performance. That's the weird thing. Because occasionally when you'd see Michigan State do the well, same thing. It's not weird thing at all. Been, over, they were bad at running last year. It, no, what I'm saying is like, but but I'm thinking back to like the Big Ten championship Michigan State contender. Like they would they would push the line, push the line, push the line, and then break it. Right. Like it, it was big and dumb and simple, but inevitably affected. This is not that. I, this is I this don't... is just literally taking the same tool that used to work that is no longer solving the problem and just jamming it in there. I just, I kind of disagree with that because it, it, they've rarely run the ball. Well, it's just what they do. They do it to kill two downs before their quarterback makes a play on third down. And that's, that's their offense. And has it always been like that? It hasn't because been this bad. So what do we have an illusion of Michigan state being like a, a good yeah. rushing team? Yeah. We have an back? illusion of them being Wisconsin, but usually they have a, a they, they, and, well, until recently they've had a sturdier defense and they've had a worse offense than Wisconsin. They, they, they run the ball like, Wisconsin they're just not good at it uh, and it puts a lot of pressure on Lewerke uh, to make third and eight passes but he's pretty good at it they seem to have what about that long ass drive against Iowa in the title game the one where they went like they converted like four fourth downs and uh, needed like 10 minutes to drive the length of the field yeah that, that's exactly <laughs> oh my God. What Bill's about. right Bill's right they are the king of the crappy third down dumb luck convert you're actually you're actually right because now I'm I remember I wrote a story about that wow no, it's, it's weird. It's what they do. It's like do. Inception. And it's like the thought that Michigan State is this bruising power team is in your head, but in actuality, it's like just reassembled trash. That's it's not lucky. It's like inevitable. Huh. All right. So, uh, yeah. are, are you bad, Michigan State? They're ba- they're bad in a Michigan State way. They're gonna look bad, and then they're gonna make other teams look bad, and then they're gonna win mm. bad looking games. Boy, talk about extreme context there. I don't know how much clarity we got from that. <laughs> um, they really are just an incredibly bizarre team to try and contextualize. I will say that. Um, one game. Do you remember the game that I was hawking in the early afternoon slot for an upset? In the early afternoon slot? Yep. You uh, and I were sitting next to each other, and I couldn't stop watching this game. Man, you remember? That, that, it's a G5 was... team. Oh, Villanova. It's a G5 team. 
Incorrect. Oh, G five. Um, Sorry, I thought just I was thinking FCS. G five uh, team. I've slugged um, a lot. Yes, I can tell. The Houston Cougars. Oh right, right, yeah. They won their game. They scored forty five points. <laughs> All seems to be totally well, but if you actually watch the game, they started extremely slow. Also, they let a Rice team that damn near lost to Prairie View A and M in Week Zero. Score 24 points in the first half. Now, yeah. I'll be the first to say, and I'll probably go kind of contribute towards answering this question. I raised it to Kirk's attention in the, in the war room of like, hey, we should we should look at this. We should start talking about Major Applewhite's buyout, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> at halftime because it was 24 to 17, something like yeah, something like that at half. Rice mm. was leading, and again, this is a Rice team again, slab of concrete, right? Nothing there, right? Damn near lost Prairie, Prairie View A and M in Week Zero. Yep, Prairie, Prairie View. The Kendall Bryles thing just started to happen in the third and fourth quarter. Obviously, they're more talented than Rice. I understand the dynamics of play. I know I understand they're making adjustments. But was this jitters first week stuff, or is Houston bad? And I'm really kind of asking more about their defense. I think. Yeah, the defense was um, that was that, that was a little disconcerting. Um, they do have obviously they have talent on defense, and even with <clears throat> even with Ed Oliver making fourteen tackles for loss or whatever it was, like three and a half or something, um, they were getting gashed in the first half, and 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 not only that, they had film on Rice, <laughs> they had film on Rice from last week, so um, it was a little disconcerting. They did rally, you know. Sometimes you have a bad half. They rallied. They looked yeah. fine in the second half. Um, so we're gonna. We're, we're, like, like, as with Penn State, I say we're just going to kind of put a pin in that and see what happens the next couple of weeks because it could be a warning sign. But we just we don't know yet. It was a it was a very bad start to the season, but they rallied. I just want to throw something out at Oliver real quick. He uh, in this game he had thirteen tackles, three and a half for a loss. Great stat line, awesome. That's what you want. Um, this is in the AP report. He has forty three tackles for a loss in his career. He's only played twenty six games. <laughs> As a tackle, too. And just like the sheer number of tackles, the sheer number of tackles he makes is staggering. Um, He he, he really, really, it's very impressive. Right, this isn't, he's not not an edge rusher. We're not talking about that guy. Right. Okay, this is a different guy. We're talking about a physical phenom on the inside who's who's guaranteeing you almost two tackles for a loss a game. (laughs) In addition to just tackling the, the, the crud out of everyone else on a on a standard down a distance. Um, he's unbelievable. Really do hope he gets to New York. Um, I think Houston's not bad. I think Houston's has is suspect. How's yeah, that? I've had I've had I've had suspect issues with with Houston all along. Like they were basically yeah. they, they became a kind of a sentiment not a sentimental favorite, but kind of a conventional wisdom kind of thing when you saw they brought in some transfers and Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver, but they weren't a great team last year with Ed Oliver. Um and they often and, and I think Kendall Bryles had a lot to do with that too. You throw in some transfers and a and a <laughs> On the field, well-regarded offensive coordinator. That's all I'm going to say there. Um, and it certainly seemed like, hey, things are going to be things are going to be awesome, and maybe they will. But they just they underachieved last year, and and bringing in new people doesn't automatically fix the reasons why you underachieved. So, um, still got some still got some questions about old uh, about the old Cougars there. Bill, let's go to the Big Twelve. Yep. Uh, Kansas State. They score 15 <laughs> un- unanswered points in the second half. The only points scored in the second half. In a comeback win over South Dakota, which 
we were all sitting around going, is that the good South Dakota school? Like, we, we don't know. They're pretty good. They're uh, 27-24, 15 unanswered points in the fourth quarter after a scoreless third. Alex Delton was 5 of 14 for 91 yards. His QBR, which I only ever mention a QBR when it's bad, so I can laugh about <laughs> it, was 18.3. Yeah. And then also, uh, they're, they're splitting times. Skylar Thompson was 8 of 14. So, um, actually, yes, he was 8 of 14. Delton was 5 of 14. Um, Thompson had 61 yards, so almost as much as, as Delton passed for. Ugly, ugly, ugly. Even, even K-State's Swiss Army knife nonsense, look what I made out of nothing, this offense <clears throat> running out of adjectives to describe what k-state does um this was ugly yep. is k-state bad uh in 2011 uh kansas state started the season with a 10 to 7 win over eastern kentucky eastern kentucky in 2011 i believe was pretty comparable to south dakota in 2018 uh, they then uh, beat Miami, Florida, beat 10 win Baylor, beat Missouri, beat uh, basically everybody on their schedule except Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, went 10 and 3, went to the Cotton Bowl. Um, not saying that I'm not going to say since they were bad, they're going to the Cotton Bowl, but I'm going to say that I'm not going to pay attention to that game at all. Bill Snyder keeps as much, as many cards uh, <clears throat> as possible, uh, as close to his vest as possible. Isn't that the, isn't that mm-hmm. the cliche? And um, sure. Sure. And he just, this, this is what he does. He, he comes up with a bare bones game plan, expects his team to out execute the FCS team. And, and, and they usually do 59 to 55 to 19 over central Arkansas last year, 35, nothing over Missouri state, but they all, but they very frequently look like crap in these games. So it's not a good uh-huh. sign, but I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm ignoring it. All right, let's turn the tables now. Mm-hmm. The following teams mm-hmm. lost. Oh wait, do we decide if they're good? I wasn't real sure they were going to be good this year anyway. So I'm let's say they're keep, bad. I'm just, I'm just going like to keep that opinion. Uh, I'm going to say they're bad. Four and eight. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Four and eight. Oh, wow. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Hey, somebody's got to do. Well, then. Um, not worst team in Kansas. Bill, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about some teams that lost mm-hmm. in week one. And this really is the genesis of counterbalancing the the dumb narrative. It's not so much about the teams that are suspect at one, although that does happen. It's definitely the ones that took week one losses. Um, and, and I, did, I factored all this, I kind of put all this together before the, the Floridian games, the Sunday, Monday stuff that we'll talk about in a second. But um, I didn't see a lick of the following game at all. It was Thursday night. I was doing something else for work. Um, is Purdue actually good? They lost way back on Thursday night. If you remember to Northwestern 31, 20, Seven is Purdue actually going to be okay? Sindelar, Elijah Sindelar threw some picks. They lost because of turnovers. I think they outgained Northwestern by a decent amount. Um, these are both potential top forty programs, and they played a very, very even game that was decided by turnovers. So I'm going to maintain that both teams are still uh, very top forty capable this year. So about kind of what you thought. Yes. Yeah. Just a and game determined by sort of the bounce. Okay. Correct. Yes. All right, but I feel good about that, okay. I guess. Sure. sure. Um, okay, game I saw part of was watching another game. Not entirely sure, although I did. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back to why I was tuned into this game in a second. It has nothing to do with the question I'm about to ask. Late Saturday night, BYU beat Arizona 28-23. to Yeah. Um, they kind of BYU kind of poured it on a little bit, and it was the third they came out and kind of broke it open. 
and then Arizona just played comeback and ran out of time. Yeah. Um, is Arizona actually going to be okay or good? And and really at this point, I think I'm asking: Is this a 500 team? Uh, well, if they if they're not going to let Khalil Tate run, then no, it's not a 500 team. Uh, it's a strange game to watch. If if y'all watched it, you you kind of understand where we're coming from on this one. It, it was all about like that was everything that you had you had to have a, like a little bit of a twinge of fear regarding when it comes to Noel Mazzoni coaching Khalil Tate. Noel Mazzoni has been a very has been a decent to very successful offensive coordinator for most of the last like fifteen to twenty years uh, at a lot of different schools. He's fine, um, but. He, you know, as Godfrey was saying uh, when we were in Atlanta the other day, he, he cites Philip Rivers' success, like the first thing, because he was NC State's coordinator at that time. Um, and, and so you had to wonder, uh, this kind of goes back to like what I witnessed. Like I, I, I fear that Khalil Tate's going to get Brad Smithed. Uh, because we watched in 2004, you know, Brad Smith comes out, has a 2001-1000 season as a freshman, uh, leads Missouri back to a bowl after a few years away in his, so- his sophomore year. And he comes back in 2004, and it was like, okay, now we're going to turn him into an NFL quarterback. He's going to run, but he's also going to be able to pass and stuff. Uh, and they kept him in the pocket. His instincts – well, he lost his instincts. Basically, he'd, he'd start to run, and then be like, "Oh crap! I need to I need to do this instead." And he just kind of froze uh-huh. up. Had a terrible 2004. Uh, they kind of had to reset everything. Uh, introduce a lot more spread concepts the next year, and he had another 2000 1000 senior uh, season as a as a senior. But it's hard to change your instincts, and it's hard when if you come in with two set a, a, an idea of here's what here's what a quarterback should be good at. Here's what, um, here are the things that a good quarterback does. Uh, and instead of kind of leaning to a quarterback's own talents, then you often run into problems because you're only so th- those quarterbacks are only so malleable at like age 21 or whatever you you've learned most uh-huh. of what you're going to learn. And so maybe this was just a kind of a, maybe this causes a reassessment like crap. That was the complete wrong way to handle that. We need to get him. We need to do some more zone read stuff. We need to get him uh, back to running the football a little bit. Cause what was it like three, three intentional rushes, something like that for a dude who could have rushed for like 4,000 yards last year. If he'd stayed healthy, uh, you want him to stay healthy. You don't want him to try to rush for 4,000 yards, but you got to run him more than three times a game or whatever it was, because he's the, his legs are the best thing you've got on your team. Your defense is not going to be able to handle, you know, carrying a load if you're if that offense isn't going to do something so he didn't look horrible throwing the ball I mean he well actually I take that back I saw that he threw like 11 deep passes and went 0 for 8 with three pass interference penalties which I mean that's like you know, 45 yards I guess but um it was I have definitely new coaching questions. staff massive questions yeah, it, was de- it was definitely new coaching staff flavor all over that bad boy but at the same time it, it I mean you're Kevin Sumlin in Texas A&M it's you know this isn't Jimbo Fisher didn't come in like you. I thought you guys came in because you guys had an intense from, you know, among other reasons, an intense familiarity with how to make a player like this work. Right. So I guess that's what I was. I mean, yeah, I'm not. I mean, he doesn't have to run power option every down, but like do something. Right. I was really shocked. Play um, to your strengths and don't ignore them. <sighs> I think they're bad. I just think they're bad. I don't know. Yeah, if they're it's bad. this is it, it is quite possible that we see a complete reassessment from them in the in the coming weeks, and and yeah. um and and maybe that changes everything. But they were certainly that was very disconcerting what we saw on Saturday. Hi, it's uh, Matt Iglesias. I'm Dara Lind. Ezra Klein. We're the hosts of the Weeds from Vox.com. 
We're taking a deep dive into the policy decisions that shape the political landscape that you see from day to day. People always like to say you, you don't want to get into the weeds. This is a podcast for people who do like to get into the weeds, who follow politics because they care about healthcare, about economics, about zoning, about inequality, about the actual underlying issues. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to get into the weeds because that's where all the policy happens. And that's the things that change people's lives. You can find more information about us at vox.com slash the weeds. Catch new episodes every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show. And be sure to subscribe to the show to never, ever, under any circumstances, miss an episode. Yeah, if you miss even one, we'll be very sad. Uh, Bill, this is another one just to kind of test test the depth of your your ability to absorb total information on a week, especially a week as weird as this one. This is another game that you and I, I know did not pay any attention to while it was happening. Uh, Cal beat North Carolina 24 yeah. to 17. Another good non-conference win for Cal. And I don't mean that in like a, they're climbing the playoff rankings. I mean, like this was a, an, a, an assy program that had major issues when Sonny Dykes left and Wilcox has come in. They beat Ole Miss at home last year. Like this is they this is what their second win in a row against North Carolina. They're doing they're doing impressive things with very little in out in the bay. So I, I was very impressed. I mean, it, you know, they didn't blow them out. They have obvious deficiencies, but I don't want to talk about Cal too much. Uh, North Carolina. A lot of people just have this sort of like pegged as this program. It's going to fall apart. I don't. I didn't really see, at least in the numbers and stuff I read, like a program that's necessarily falling apart. They just may have another bad year without having like system failure and a referendum on Larry Fedora. Well, right. They're going to, we're not going to see their, the team they intended to field for like another two or three games or whenever those suspensions end. So, I mean, that was, this was, I mean, I got to say, like, I can't, I mean, good for Cal. They went up big. They held on late. Uh, they they pulled it out, and that's always anytime you can get a P five win, that's good. Um, I uh-huh. can't say I was impressed. <laughs> Just looking, and again, we we were we had eighteen other games we had our eye on. Uh, we were not paying specific attention to this, but. Um, just kind of scrolling through their quarterbacks were 16 for 32 for 119 yards. That's quite bad. And they were sacked four times. So basically, uh, let's see, 36 pass attempts gained 96 yards. That's horrible. Um, Nate, they picked off Nathan Elliott, Cal, North Carolina's temporary starting quarterback, four times. He went 15 for 35 for 137, which does kind of, you know, Justin Wilcox has a, had plenty of defensive success on his record, so maybe that's a sign that Cal's defense is going to be pr- pretty good. I don't see mm-hmm. how you could even be slightly impressed with with Cal's offense at this point. They averaged 3.4 yards per play over the course of the game. They allowed 4.1 to a handicapped North Carolina. Um, I, All right, Grumpy Bridges, what I, I was mean, saying was – Contextually, in perspective, for what Cal had, and everybody as knows bad as they were. Everybody knows USC had pl- suspended players, though. It doesn't matter. It's a win, and they need those badly at Cal. Sure. But again, North Carolina. Um, this is one where we probably just wait. Uh, we probably wait until conference play. Yeah. Obviously, oh, yeah. they did have the suspensions, but we just wait, so we don't know. Yeah, um, I'm fine with that one. All right. Oh yeah, and, and North Carolina also committed 13 penalties. <laughs> no, uh, for Cal though, uh, they play at BYU this week. Uh, if you want to prove that you really are on something, win at BYU because then you'll come home, beat Idaho State, and be three and zero when Oregon comes to town. So do that, Bill. Yeah. Oh, we did have a couple of episodes this week. Um, we had, not jokingly, but just sort of like, kind of. You know, mentioned it offhand that Temple could be a contender in their division. 
They lost <laughs> at home, crosstown rivalry, 1917 to Villanova. Um, is Temple actually going to be good this year? Uh, uh, well, I, I am certainly very less, uh, very much less uh, sure of that now. I, it was really weird because, I mean, the whole my whole thought about you know being kind of into Temple this year was that their quarterback late in the year, Frank Nutile, 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 I think. Um, looked sure. really, really good late in 2017. Um, that, that offense was jack for about the first half of the season. But then he starts to find a rhythm. Um, they score at least 28 points in five of their last six games. They Obviously, they, they thump a – well, FIU had their quarterback hurt early in the game, but they thumped uh, Tulsa. They won at Tulsa easily. They won at Cincinnati easily. They beat Navy. Um, they, they just kind of looked like they had some things figured out, and it was mostly because of the quarterback. Uh, Frank Nutile went 18 for 30 for a buck 85 and two really bad picks late in the game really really bad picks one of them was a really nice catch by the defender um but he just kind of melted when when villanova didn't back down so that's a very bad sign but every all my confidence in uh temple was based around the idea that they hey they might have a quarterback and they did right. not have a quarterback the other day i'm a little suspicious yeah i can't say that they're Justifiably. i can't say they're actually going to be good after this one all right, Bill. Uh, it wouldn't be podcasting play nobody if we put Temple ahead of this next this next team. <laughs> Bill is Texas actually good. <laughs> uh, they lost thirty four to twenty nine, obviously to Maryland. It was probably the most talked about game on Saturday. Um, the end of the world in Austin, Texas again. A referendum on the coach again. Um, Maryland was not as bad as we assumed. Not you. I know you said specifically, hey, this is this is a team we don't really know about because they the had injuries last year. Yeah. And yes. Um this was a team we rubber stamped as in disarray because of what had gone on with yeah. JJ Durkin. Um Matt Canada is very tactfully positioning himself to uh take over. That's obvious, trust me. There's some couple key tells in the way that he was addressing the media and talking and yeah he i think he wants that head job um <laughs> this is a good way to get it too he scored 34 points on texas um i want to talk about tom herman for a second what about todd orlando yeah so in what is this 14 games as texas defensive coordinator it's not good well no 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 it was awesome if you take out the two games against Maryland, like here's, here's what they did last year. Bill. No, listen, 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 listen. Um, last year they held OU to either their fewest points or their second fewest points. They held Southern California to either. What was it? 21, I think 21 points in regulation. They held TCU to 24 points. They held West Virginia to 14 points. They held Missouri who had just scored like a billion points to 16 points. They had a, definitively awesome defense after getting torched by Maryland uh, this year. So my, my rebuttal, this is Texas and we're talking about Maryland. I understand it's bad. It's all bad. It doesn't have to say anything about how the rest of the year is going to go. And last year they gave up 8.3 points per uh, yards per play to Maryland. This year was 5.1. It was a really weird game that they had like three or four major glitches after it was kind of like the Penn state thing where it was like the offense stinks and the defense is okay. And then the offense figures it out and the defense stinks. I'd have that same kind of just like what's wrong. This is wrong. Now this is wrong. Now this isn't, it had a really weird vibe and Maryland to, their credit, I, 
I, I could not have been more impressed with Maryland just from a mental standpoint because they really Maryland I mean, the closed tribute, them out. Yeah, the tribute at the beginning of the game was incredible. Uh, I always I, cool to see that. Just yeah. a very perfect, uh, the perfect thing to do in, in an in-game setting. You can obviously only do so many things, but they did it just right. Uh, and then they took that to heart. They went out and played really well. And Texas seized control of the game. They had the the storm delay and all these things. And then Maryland just pulls itself together and shuts the game down. Score goes ahead picks off uh ellinger late by the way ellinger not really what i was wanting to see from him i was kind of i talked i didn't talk him up like a ton this offseason but i thought he i i well i guess i still think he can be pretty good he he was not um i I, so i i just really like that's i i came away i know i'm supposed to have more of an opinion about texas after this game than maryland because it's texas and it's maryland but i came Mm -hmm. away more impressed with maryland than i was completely shocked and disgusted by texas (laughs) well then okay so that logic would say that texas is not it's not the end of the world but it's it's bad you know it's not good um well and the thing is it's Here's my other argument about the whole, like, well, he's great other than Maryland. This is, we're a year past that. You're supposed to know that this is coming. 5.1 yards per play should win you the game. Let's put it that way. Uh, This was a funky game. Um, 5.1 yards per play doesn't usually give up 34 points. (laughs) Okay, so it was just, it was weird. And uh, Texas did not respond as well as Maryland. They lost and they should have. But the other thing about Texas, and this is something I think, I mean, I talked about on the radio. I think we talked about a few times, the fact that, I was realizing uh, in mid to late August that I was saying exactly the same thing about Tom Herman and Will Muschamp, how um, Mm -hmm. as underdogs, you do not want to face them because they will, they will absolutely play their a game against you if they're an underdog, but they have no idea how to handle life as a favorite. That's that certainly, uh, it has, is no less true than it was uh, last year. I mean, like, you know, Houston two years ago beats Oklahoma by 10, destroys Louisville, loses to SMU. Uh, last right. year, Texas nearly beats USC, nearly beats Oklahoma, uh, and then loses to Texas Tech at home. You know, that it was just, they're a weird team. And of course, loses to Maryland at home. They're, they're really, they have to figure out life as a favorite because if they continue to recruit well and develop and all that, they're going to be a favorite more. And they have to figure out how to get themselves ready to play these games with, without the whole nobody believes in us, we're the underdog, it's a home run, blah, blah, blah. So until well, they prove they every, can do that, we don't know they can do that. Everything I saw against the team that lost to Maryland says that they're probably going to beat USC and then lose to Baylor a month later. Right, right. they're going to they're gonna play like crap against Tulsa this week. Then they're going to beat USC and TCU back-to-back. Yeah, and then Texas is back. They'll play Oklahoma right. close and lose, and then they'll just drop a complete stinker somewhere in late October. They November. play Baylor right after OU, so there you go. If this team is 8-4, and four, which they're probably going to be, it's just going to be infuriating for those of us who have to create like narratives and conversations Uh, and referendums and it's just like wait what are they like are they just like a poor man's oklahoma state like what the (laughs) hell are they um all right bill thanks for playing my game Mm -hmm. i appreciate that um nothing really uh explosive or shocking there obviously it is week one so you can just sort of apply inverse logic on everyone um okay bill it's not really in the confines of the game but um florida state or miami who did first off? Uh, you wrote about Miami, and I wrote about Florida State. Yeah, seriously, PAPN feature jinx right here. Um, who are I? <laughs> oh, it's not really a good or bad thing here. Um, who would you rather be right now? <laughs> 
Florida State uh, or Miami? That's a very good question. I have no idea. Um, yeah, neither do I, and I and that's why I asked. I don't know if there's I don't know if there's a sunnier side to that uh, to that choice. I really don't. Miami obviously gets embarrassed on Sunday night against LSU, um, and then Florida State. It was funny because the media was all in on Miami to beat LSU. I would say the media as a large group, and then the media was all in on I think Florida State to sort of be back and Virginia Tech had a lot of defenders out and maybe Bud Foster doesn't have the horses right now um it was funny to see people kind of swallowing their bold proclamations in different ways on on those two nights because it was all about Ed Orgeron's a moron LSU's in complete and total uh you know underperforming sloppy Look what the city it can't do. They took a t- they, t- they took a couple of timeouts early in that game, yeah. and I mean people were feasting on Twitter, and then like LSU wasn't good on offense, but they were. I don't, like I, I mean, if I had to write a gamer on this, I was like, well, they when they scored, <laughs> and their quarterback's better than the ones that they've had recently. Like he'll probably be Etling or better, so they have a quarterback. Their defense is awesome, right, LSU? But I think so. So like it, it's functional, right? It's really hard. So you want to compliment LSU for winning this big game, but at the same time, you start trying to like <coughs> look at numbers and pick adjectives, and it's really hard. Yeah. So one of my favorite, bo- like I went through a this will shock you. I went through a boxing phase when I was growing up. Um, you know, lots of old like greatest fighter kind of videos. They had the stuff on ESPN and HBO and o and all that. Um, mm-hmm. And of like all the old like famous boxer videos, like one of my favorite guys to watch in those grainy clips was Archie Moore. I think he's basically kind of regarded as the best counter puncher of all time. Uh, he was called. Um, the mongoose or the old mongoose he fought till he was like 47 basically he was not quick he could not do anything but he would basically let you hit him a couple times and bait you in and then beat the crap out of you with a counter punch um Mm -hmm. i'm not saying steve ensminger grew up an archie moore fan i can't prove it i i it wouldn't surprise me because it was basically ensminger called that game like an old dude who was ready waiting for the counter punch and he had a couple of beauties right there in the second quarter when the game was being decided you know, having the Miami attacking a little too much off the edge, so they had that perfectly blocked play up the middle, um, the the fifty yard touchdown where there was nobody in the middle. The inside linebackers were either it was a terrible play design or they were not where they were supposed to be. Uh, and you've got a guard blocking a safety, and Brissett just kind of it just burst straight up the middle. They had the fourth and one call where where Miami jumped offside. They just had three or four plays where it was basically we know Miami's going to attack us this way. Boom, counterpunch right to the chin. Um, and that was all it took. After that, you know, the game state was such that Malik Rozier, Rozier, not Rozier, Rozier, uh, had to throw uh, two well-covered receivers uh, against an LSU secondary that was phenomenal. Uh, and and for, so they, the offense didn't do a thing. Offense didn't have to do a damn thing. So it was hard to say we learned anything because they just they weren't going to do anything until Miami they were, come back and they didn't have to do anything. They were awesome. It was fun. I mean that that defense was like if you enjoy that kind of stuff where they're they're quick and smart and violent. Like that was <laughs> they that, they were doing. I mean this was Dave Aranda. This was yeah. the, the counterpunch and intellectual that 
in a way that doesn't cost speed and physicality. And that's usually the two things that are always at odds with each other right. when you're calling a defense. Um, they they were everywhere and they were tackling really well. <laughs> yeah. So and then and as well, like this goes with the counter punching narrative. Although I'm sure it wasn't intentional. Like the worst thing that could have happened to Rozier, I think, was completing the first two deep shots he took. Uh, he started the game three for three for 56. And then like his next, I don't know, like 18 passes were all like just deep down the sideline to well-covered guys out of bounds. So like he starts three for three for 56. He then goes 12 for 32 for 203. Uh, just a horror with four sacks and two picks. Like it's just a horrible game for Mosher. And I mean, that's kind of four straight iffy to horrible games for Malik Rozier at this point. Um, I don't, you never want to say like bitch him after one game uh, and he'll get a chance to prove himself still, I guess. I mean, but I, I you got a couple of interesting redshirt freshmen there on the sideline and, and what are the names? Um, uh, what, Henry or Harry and, and Weldon. Um, yeah. You got to think about it. Cause Rozier just didn't, he made all the same mistakes he was making late last year, and that's a very bad sign. Uh, I, I don't want to try and say anything about LSU right now. <laughs> I don't. Like, I don't want to – I don't even want to joke. <laughs> like, because there is still – I don't know how this is possible after a dominant win against a ranked opponent in week one. Neutral site game, <laughs> national attention. Highest rated game of the weekend. Yeah. Um, but – Everything is still, every possibility still feels like it's on the table for them. <laughs> this yeah. still feels like a team that could both refine itself a little bit on offense, be versatile enough, like you said, to become a counterpunch, and then combine with that defense, really win swing games they're not supposed to, and like win 10 or 11 games. Okay. Yeah. Also, completely and totally still within the realm of possibilities of five and seven football teams. Right. Yeah. We just, we don't know. Like, again, we stopped learning anything about the offense the moment it was 27 3. Um, yes. So their, their full game you, stats stink. But again, they didn't have to be good. They weren't going to, they weren't going to show anything else that they didn't need to show. Um, they knew they weren't going to give up enough points for it to matter. Uh, kicked a couple field goals and that was it. So, I mean, it, it ended up the, the full game stats were bad. I mean, it was like, let's see. Uh, success rate, 34% for LSU, and the national average is like 42-43. Miami was 30%. uh, Just a bad offensive game all the way around, but they had a 14-yard field position advantage. They had their early lead suddenly, and, yeah, they just sat on the ball. So we'll see. But, I mean, when you've got LSU schedule, like, it really is kind of a, okay, let's pack it all up and get ready for the next big game because in two weeks, I mean, literally all Auburn. All I can think about right now is, okay, LSU-Auburn's in two weeks. Yeah. Jared stood him through two, three interceptions against Washington. Yeah. Okay. That's another game we hadn't talked about. Yeah. Um, he's going against LSU secondary. Yeah. And Joe Burrow is going against an Auburn front. That, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. When, as that game that was game. starting, I was still paying attention to some of the late-ending first shift games. It was we were in kind of one of the multi TV deal where you're not you're you're seeing everything paying attention to nothing, but every time I would look over, oh my god, it was it was just violent. I mean, there's yeah, no other word really, for it. In the middle of the game, Washington found some adjustments, but basically they started off the game defense like dominating with their defensive line, and they finished the game dominating with their defensive line. And really, that's Holy. a pretty good way to do it to go about it. So, Whew. something, um, yeah. Uh, 
Okay, Bill, uh, Florida State. This yep. is uh, – so here's the weirdest experience I've ever had. I've known <laughs> that program for a long time. Willie Taggart wrote the story, da 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 da, da right? Talked to them a lot on the record and off the record about what what they were going to do, what they like to do, like all this stuff. Did it at Oregon last year too. ESPN had the coach's film room on last night, and the person they kept going back to to talk about that offense was Hugh Freeze. <laughs> so my life is in a strange spot last night. Um, I'm sitting there listening to Hugh, who who is a person I've spent a lot of time with as well for different reasons. Um, however, Hugh, for his many many faults <laughs> is also has also become well, let's not say auteur by any stretch um proficient and at sometimes he's very good at developing a hot hand and calling a tempo offense okay mm-hmm. what was so bizarre in the florida state game was that they were lined up this whole lethal simplicity thing. They were lined up and doing the same thing over and over and over again. It looked like with particular runs, a lot of the, a lot of the inside zone stuff where even as the, even as the game wore on and they were just not effective running the ball at all, especially inside what freeze was identifying. And also across the table, Jim Mora defensive minded coach, and even Todd Graham chirped in on this too. I watched the whole game through the coach's film room. They were saying they were all identifying the same thing, which was Florida State seems like it can't variate right now. In other words, it can't go to those extra options, or it can't either either they haven't installed enough, or they don't have Francois comfortable enough to let him see the fact that like, hey, there's no high safety half of these plays. Right? Tech is loading the box, and you're running into eight man, right. nine man looks. Why is that happening? What is going on here? And the only thing all these different coaches could say, and trust me, it's a room full of coaches that are very easy to make fun of, like Mac Brown and Todd Graham and Freeze and da da da. Like, but they're all very good in their own right at particular things. And and anytime you have the offensive and defensive coaches in this much agreement, you, you tend to take note. It, it was just like Florida State just didn't know how to drive this new vehicle at all, and Tech was good. But Tech also gave them things they could expose. That's what happened on the Acres run. And right. <clears throat> they just couldn't do it. Like they for whatever reason, they just could not get out there. Francois is a good passer. He made some great passes. They couldn't ever put it all together. And I don't know if it was an audible issue, if they're just not seeing things. It it was the most first night, first week, first game new system thing I've ever seen. And it was bad. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it is amazing um, how much your play calling and your quarterback can fall apart when your line is getting overwhelmed. Because um, you really do kind of just go into this blind state of, oh my God, I have no idea what's going to work now. Um, yeah. So yeah, if they were running into a loaded box, that that's a problem. That's a play calling issue. Or it's a it's a read, it's a what, you know, Francois is reading the wrong thing. We don't necessarily know <clears throat> with a lot of these plays, like what the, the call was, there are a lot of options, and and either it was a bad call or Francois made a bad read. But well, those of you who watched the the film room, and I, I wish I had thought about it because you just jogged my memory. There were two plays before the half in the second quarter where if they read it the right way on it was a zone sweep, and then I want to say 
I can't remember what the second play was, but there was a zone sweep specifically where Mora immediately says, oh, that should be six. And it was like, a, you know, it was a one-yard gain or whatever. <laughs> and he, they go back, pull it back real fast, and you realize they had everybody on the outside. It was done. It was just the wrong read. It literally, in addition to the bad touchdown call, because that that one uh, that one pass should have been a touchdown. He fell into the end zone. No, no, he was he was down. You yeah, his, think shin, so? his no, his shin dragged, and he was absolutely down. Oh, it's funny because in the coach's room, they kept rewinding. Like everyone was in agreement that it was a touchdown. No, it was um, it was it was blowing my mind. Fowler and Herb Street were saying it too. I'm like, no, his his shin is clearly down right now at the half yard line, and nobody was weird. seeing it. It was really weird. But anyway. A lot. Well, a lot of people because a lot of the our our media friends on Twitter were were saying no. It's oh, I know. Like, I know. I was there. There was like there were ten percent of us that were going uh but no. Huh. I swear to God, he, his knee was down. Anyway, or um, Shin. Sorry, Shin was down. This was just like, and I know, and every coach in there, it was like ESPN had stacked that roster to talk about. Hey, there's this completely new offense and new looking and new culture at Florida State, and we're gonna make our TV show about that tonight, and not about same ass old crusty Bud Foster. It should have been, obviously. Um, but at the same time, listening listening to at least that room of coaches, you got the impression that it wasn't like Foster solved every problem. He just made the right bets. And and the, the best bet they made was that Florida State would not be able to recognize, adjust, and, and execute yeah. with confidence because it was a week one, game one, first year situation. Yeah, and I mean, and, and, and again, like when – I still don't think I know everything I need to know about Virginia's Texas new remodeled secondary. But when you're when your line is dominating that much, 14 tackles for loss. Like it's amazing how much that'll protect your secondary when uh, the quarterback has no time and every single time they run the ball, it's a five yard loss. It was so impressive. What Bill? They, they I mean, they were they were rushing four and and yep. whipping their whipping their ass when Florida State went to as much of a pocket as they go to. Like and, when, and, when, and Bud Elliott was telling us like the the tackles are the biggest weakness on the on the offense. Uh, he knew he said it heading into the year and boy howdy was he right yeah they're gonna have to they're gonna have to spend the rest of the year compensating for that and they're going to have to recruit um aggressively they may i mean honestly if that's what we're getting for a program the prestige level of florida state and the talent Mm -hmm. level like you're gonna have to bring in juco's next year and on top of the four or five star kids you get because you got to solve that fast that was ugly um what'd you (laughs) think of uh tech's offense it was um, it was there. I really liked what they did on their first two the, yeah. the the first drive of the game and then the first drive coming out of the half. Yeah, they they had more um run success than I thought they would. Uh, mm-hmm. that was I was gonna say, I mean they're real physical. Deshaun McLeese is a really physical back. Um so I mean they it looks it looks kind of mean when they're running the ball, and I think obviously that's kind of what they wanted to see. <clears throat> but um, the, you know the passing game, we'll see. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, his passing line. I mean, sixteen for twenty six, two hundred seven, two touchdowns, no picks, good stuff. Um, that that included the forty nine yard touchdown at the end, where FSU is like, yeah, we're toast, we're done. Um, but they, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not still incredibly impressed with Josh Jackson all that much. But that was a nice run game, and if you've got a dominant defensive line and a nasty tackles for lost havocy defense uh, and a good run game, then you know you you're only going to need the passing game a couple times this year. Um, okay, before we move on, we're going to do a brief ask PAP in here. Um, yeah, we, we're at an hour and that's when we're supposed to stop. So Washington still a playoff contender. I shall hear nothing, nothing yeah. to the contrary. Yeah. That's not a joke. I'm not finished 12 that. and like, one and you're yeah. probably in the playoff. Um, and then Auburn very TBD as well. I don't mean to shortchange him. It was just that like that game was 
good and talented, but also ugly. And if you took the two names off and you and you had that exact game played by two t- two teams in the Big Ten at eleven a.m., <laughs> we'd all be making fun of you. So yeah, and the other thing with Auburn is yeah, LSU in two weeks, then at Mississippi State, then at Ole Miss, and Texas A and M at home, and at Georgia, and at Alabama. Like they they looked like a top ten or fifteen team for sure, but they're just gonna have to keep looking like it. Uh, that's it, really. On uh, house cleaning, I will say. Um, if there is such a thing as a hot seat after week one, uh, ECU is going to be replacing their head coach. Yeah. I have no idea why Scotty Montgomery was kept last year. So um, God, um, I mean, even Charlotte won. So, (laughs) but Uh, by the way, shout out to North Carolina, freaking A and T who has started this season where they went over a top 10 FCS team and then, uh, you know, an FBS team that's probably worse than Jacksonville state, but still they beat them. And uh, yeah, they're, they're two and oh, I think they're top five in the FCS polls now. Mm-hmm. Really, really cool. They, you know, they, they'll have an, a decent shot at finishing this year, a 12 and oh, again with a 24 game winning streak. All right, Bill, let's just do a quick lane. Yeah. Pass PAPN and then we'll get out of here. We'll yep. throw some questions in for, for Thursday's preview show as well. Uh, we did this mainly because we're, we're still, man, Labor Day really screws you up. Honestly. <laughs> Labor Day can screw you up just scheduling wise. So, Quick 10-minute lanyap, and then uh, we'll be back on the regular schedule for Thursday. Mm-hmm. Jared Colville, um, he said, for the love of all that's good, please tell me Hawaii <laughs> and Nick Rolovich are for real. Life is better with exciting football on at 2 a.m. Yes, Going absolutely. Shikar Gupta, our boy Shikar, uh, way too early overreaction. Hawaii with the G5 spot in the New York Six polls. Any feasible way you can see that actually panning out? Um, God, that would be amazing. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, but God, that would be amazing. They're so much fun right now. Jared also with it with a question before that uh, he, he gets to create the best segue now uh, and by the way it's Jay Colville 12 on Twitter which G5 team poses the biggest threat to Boise getting into the New York uh, New York New Year six they looked pretty salty against Troy uh, they did it's not a game we talked about um, Boise's that that's exactly what they needed to do yeah. they did it um, let's let's say why I would still say Wyoming I think Wazoo <laughs> woke up late and um, Wyoming's defense just kind of s- stopped. Honestly, um, I don't know how much about that was an in-game adjustment from Leach because that's not really the forte. But right. I don't know. Um, uh, Tanner the other, Spearman. By the way, the other big threat that Boise faces is UCF looked really good too. So they did, yes, and that was buried on the the civil conflict. Uh, Sandy Northrup says, "Why is Adazio always considered a hot seat candidate? A winning season this year gives BC five bowls in six years." That's a really good question when you pose it like that. I think BC aspires to a little bit more, and I also think a lot of people were anticipating a complete cratering. Right. We haven't had that yet. Right, no, I mean, the the reason he was considered a hot seat candidate was about halfway through last year. It looked like he was going to be fired. Um, They were, what, 3-9 and in 2015. They eked out a late winning streak to get to 7-6 in 2016. They were 2-4 to start 2017. Um, They just weren't a very good program. That's why he was on the hot seat. They won, what, five out of six but lost their bowl game, and then they looked really good against UMass. Like, he's not – right now he's not on the hot seat. It's just that, you know, halfway through last season he was, and it takes a little while for us to kind of trust that. Football fun time. This is how we wedge Notre Dame and Michigan in. We weren't purposefully excluding them. Uh, which one of these fan bases collective freak out is the most warranted? Miami, <laughs> Michigan, or Texas? I will say that Michigan is the least of uh, warranted of those fan bases right now. Would you agree? Yeah, because, yeah, they, I mean, Notre Dame's a good team. Um, Texas lost to the worst team. So that's probably, it's probably them. 
It's not Michigan. I know everybody wants to talk about Michigan right now. I know we make fun of Michigan. I know we we, we make fun of their fans. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot you, of people. You tell them to cheat more. They, well, Brian, I know you're listening. You should cheat more. Um, I know that a lot of Michigan fans have kind of been passing around this meme <laughs> of, like, blind resume, take Harbaugh's name off of it, and this is what he's done in his last X Games. Let's just wait a sec. Let's just wait a bit, okay? <laughs> yeah. Let's just wait a bit. A lot of people namely Michigan fans thought Michigan was a pencil or, or a, a write it in ink playoff contender this year. A lot of the rest of us said, Hey, there are deficiencies here. You're taking a transfer quarterback and starting him taking a transfer quarterback. That doesn't really have the skill set appropriate for what your head coach likes to run. Hey. And, and, and really never once I thought in that game, did you see a, a drive in which like, Oh, okay. They found a way to fit, Patterson at his best into this into the kind of play calling that they want. I still think they're at odds there. Yeah, I mean he he's a phenomenal talent. I don't know if they've still figured out exactly what they want to do with it. So I mean, very much work in progress across the board for Michigan. I know you wanted to win that game because it's Notre Dame, but in no way do you like the Braylon Edwards thing was just that's just dumb media stuff. <laughs> well, I wouldn't and, pay. I mean, yeah they they lost by seven. S and P had them projected to lose by five and a half. So. I mean, it it was one of three games where they were projected underdog, and uh, the other two at Ohio State and then slightly at Michigan State, although those numbers might change this week with both Michigan and Michigan State falling. We'll see. But um, this was the expected result. And, but in the process, I mean, you know, we saw signs that a lot of the issues we thought we thought might be fixed with Patterson or might be fixed with more experience aren't necessarily fixed. I mean, the, basically the, the five step or the seven step Shea Patterson drop from behind center was take five steps, dodge the oncoming defensive end, and then start looking at Mm -hmm. your play because he had to dodge the defensive end every single freaking drop back. Um, it really was Chris Brown during the game, uh, smart football, Chris Brown said that, um, it really was like everything they were trying to do would probably be more successful out of the shotgun. At the very least, it would have given him more time because they couldn't protect him at all. And 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 so it really was just um, – it's been a long time since Michigan had a line anybody was confident in. And while Notre Dame is mm-hmm. pro- probably has either the second or third best defensive line they're going to face this year, um, it was very disconcerting. But now, hey – 20 plus point favorite against Western Michigan this week. 20 plus point favorite against SMU. Maybe a 15 to 20 point favorite against Nebraska after that. When when they go to Northwestern uh, at the end of the month, they'll probably be three and one with three easy wins. Um, you know, so it, there's still that. There there are you know. I, I I know a lot of people – it was funny, like going from thinking, hey, I think they could be top 10 quality this year and then thinking that was being bullish and then realizing people were predicting him for the playoff or the national title uh, and realizing, wow, okay, maybe I'm bearish on Michigan this year, but whatever. Ryan asks, how much can one learn about how well a coach develops his players by watching his previous team a la Aggies who watched the FSU game? Nope. Doesn't work yeah, that way. That's that's really hard. Um, really, really hard. What you were seeing in that game now had had you had a, a a bridge between coaches that are similar in any say any kind of philosophy, maybe, maybe. But again, I I don't I wouldn't advise using that logic. Um, in that particular instance, um, I mean they're just completely different. 
Yeah, that, that's very different much... in every way. And also, they're asking those kids to do a lot of different things that they had never done before under Jimbo. Yeah, you start doing that, you're going to see whatever you want to see. It's just it's so hard to to interpret that. Uh, subreddit, but go over to the subreddit, reddit.com/r/papn. JDS76 asks, after Miami and FSU's stellar showing in week one, can Godfrey and Bill combine their powers and do a combined feature on Bama for the sake of the rest of the country? Uh, as long as if you're they not would, asking if us they to would gr- get, Yeah, don't ask. As long as you're not asking us to get access, all good. We can do Grant it. us access. I will plant that bomb in the heart of the Death Star. <laughs> Ab-so-freaking-lutely. Uh, two more. Okay. Two more. Um, you pick one, I'll pick one. Who wants yeah. to go first? Um, we got a couple questions about the Mark Jones Washington mess. That is just the dumbest thing. Washington ease up. Mark Jones drop it. It's just bad. I got the new rolled up newspaper on my hand, bopping everybody on the nose. Um, I don't even know. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, um, yeah. So Mark so it, Jones. So it, it didn't reach me. Okay, uh, Mark Jones on Twitter after Washington lost to um, Auburn on Saturday. Mark Jones, of course, ESPN announcer, uh, probably has called a few Washington games in recent years. He might have called the Cupcake game last year where they brought out the cupcakes uh, and all that for game day or whatever that stupid situation oh, was. okay, yeah, um, with Herbie, yeah. Yeah, so okay, anyway. Well, what's the problem? Well, Mark Jones was saying, hey, I guess uh, bring on Montana then, huh? Basically saying, you know, they should have scheduled Montana, another cupcake instead of a real team. Uh, shut up, Mark Jones. Uh, Washington then banned Mark Jones basically from calling any of their games. That's stupid too. Everybody's being so stupid oh, with boy. this whole thing. I hate it. Anyway, I'm grumpy. I don't know. I mean, that was kind of dumb for him to say. Banning very, someone from calling your game is pretty stupid. It was dumb but. of everybody. It was dumb of everybody. Hmm. Um, I'm going to skip the saving thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just talk about it later. Yeah. Um, we're just going to talk about it later. I don't, I don't really have anything else to add. Uh, I have lots of things to add, but nothing crammed into this tight of a segment. Uh, Jake Smith, as a Kansas fan, what do I do now? I personally think Jake, you're in a good place because you have a new athletic. (laughs) Correct. It is over. Everything (laughs) has officially been reduced to cinder and ash. And the good news is, you uh, have a new AD, so there is zero question that you're going to retain David Beatty. It's not going to happen. Um, and you start over, and you know what? I, it's funny. I got home Sunday. I was walking my dog yesterday and playing with my kids outside on Labor Day before the Florida State game, and I was bemoaning the fact that the nicest weather in in the most in the parts of the country that are most passionate about college football, the nicest weather of the year is usually like September and October. You know? Like, at least in, in Nashville, <laughs> Tennessee, yeah. there's no, like, spring pollen right now. It's not burning ass hot. It's, like, normal hot and then sometimes, like, cool and brisk. Um, it's nice outside. Like, it's still sunny. This is sort of that one window a year where everything is ideal. Um, and I hate that. You know, I hate that because I'm indoors a lot, consuming a lot of football. It just never works out. So if you're a Kansas fan and it says Jake lives in Chicago here, uh, you know what? Same holds true for Chicago. I was just there like three weeks ago. Um, enjoy the hell out of Chicago, my man. <laughs> Follow the Cubs in the playoffs. Just to say, no, I'm serious. Take just just take a take a knee, man. Just just let it ride out this year. You know for a fact. Yeah. You have all the information in front of you in week one of what's going to happen. That's a pretty liberating feeling. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, no, I mean, AD is going to have a few months to figure out what he wants to do. He probably already has started a few months ago. Like whenever he took the job, his first thing was, who am I going to hire when this all falls apart again? Actually, um, you know what? <clears throat> Five words, Jake. Red Dead Redemption next month. Go get you an Xbox or a PS4. That's what you do. And here's, uh, we'll start with another, uh, we'll finish with another reassuring. Uh, NU Wildcats, NIU Huskies is the handle on Reddit. Uh, prediction on when Rod Carey will be fired. Asking for the sake of my sanity, NIU is on its way to being the Midwestern Boise State, and Carey has run it straight into the ground by running jet sweeps 19 times a game and failing to get his teams up to the big games. Only super talents like Sutton Smith and Max Sharping and faux big wins like Nebraska last year are prolonging his eventual demise, I hope. Uh, a, Nebraska was a pretty big game for Northern Illinois, and they won it. So, NIU is going to be the what now? They were um, going to be the Boise. They were going to be the, the Midwestern. Now? They were going to be the Midwestern Boise State, and uh, <clears throat> I was, I was, I did not catch that I, memo. I would venture to say that Nebraska was the biggest game on their schedule last year, and they won twenty-one to seventeen. Um, they rebounded from five and seven, a frustrating five and seven to eight and five. They did still lose a couple of frustrating games last year, but uh, defensively they found a really interesting identity. Those super players like Sutton Smith were recruited by Rod Carey and developed by Rod Carey. Um, you, Their next three games aren't good, though, dude. I'm not going to lie. He's just going to get more pissed off. You uh, you, ha- you, actually, Northern Illinois beat Iowa on a uh, success rate, from a success rate perspective the other day. Both were bad, but they basically, they played very well defensively, average, gave up 4.4 yards per play. Game eventually got away from them. That's fine. Uh, they could, they blew a bunch of scoring opportunities, which would certainly helped the game get away from them. But their defense looked as good as I thought it would be. Uh, and, yeah, well, you you're probably going to lose to Utah next week. And yep. then you're probably going to beat Central Michigan. You're probably going to lose to Florida State. You're probably going to go about 8-5. and five, And you don't fire a head coach at Northern Illinois for going 8-5. and five. I'm sorry. Why are you getting mad, too? Your team scheduled three power five, three good power five teams. And Utah's coming to you. And just like BC did last year, and you almost beat them. I realize almost doesn't count. You wanted to beat Boston College, who turned out to be a lot better than we thought. But, um... Uh, I don't know if you reassured him because usually when they come to us with questions, wanting their head coach fired, they usually want us to say, yeah, fire him. So I don't know how much, I don't know how reassuring that just was, but (laughs) all right, Bill, we'll be back on Thursday. We'll have a guest. I'm just going to forewarn everybody. We will discuss some NFL. Please don't, don't choke or gag or anything, any other visceral natural response. We're just doing it because we're slightly interested in it. There's no sea change in philosophy, editorial, blah, blah. It's just, just, Calm down, children. And we're still mostly talking about college. Oh, my God. I know. It's not like we reinvented the wheel. Bill Barnwell, we're out here. We're coming for you, I swear to God.